This is a Radio.com original. This is Coronavirus Daily World on Pause. I'm Charles Feldman from the KNX Radio.com studios in Los Angeles. And I'm Mike Simpson. Rush has been on to get the vaccines out to as many places as possible. The whole process starts with the vaccine makers. The more doses they make, the more that can be shipped. But it's not that easy, especially since we are in a rush. We'll look into why the vaccine makers keep missing their targets. A group of lawmakers in Washington pushing the CDC to include people with asthma among those who should get vaccine priority. Texas doing away with its state's mandated mask requirements, letting businesses open up as much as they want. What could go wrong? Maybe everything, maybe nothing. If 2020 didn't prepare you for the zombie apocalypse, then nothing will. Even the CDC wants you to be ready. No, I'm not really joking about that last part. We start, though, with the vaccine makers and the distribution. Mark Capafari, lecturer on supply chain management at Penn State, previously director of global logistics at Merck. So, Mark, how complicated is all this? Firstly, two of the main producers, both Pfizer and Moderna, are starting some strategies that haven't been adopted before, some manufacturing strategies. And normally you would have a lot more time to ramp up from a clinical trial to transfer the technology to this application. And they had to do it in a tremendous amount of time uh, to get this all accomplished. That's one of the constraints that we're experiencing. Some other constraints are around the raw materials as well. I, you know, when it comes to, for example, Johnson and Johnson and and Merck now uh, helping them out, it, you, know, you as we pointed out, uh, you were the director of global logistics at Merck, so you know the way they work. I mean, it seems like a really logical uh, partnership in here because Merck has, as you know, uh, a, a long history of making many, many vaccines. Fi- uh, the Pfizer, Johnson and Johnson does not. Uh, why wasn't this kind of the I don't know, the the deal from the get-go. Johnson & Johnson must have realized it couldn't do this alone. Well, I I believe those discussions were going on for quite a while. Remember also that J&J uses a production process that Merck uh, uses as well. So there was some compatibility there. There's some other other applications are going on as well. For example, Novartis is is helping the uh, the bio and tech company that is uh, producing a uh, product as well. So you're having a lot of this um, support from the other pharmaceutical companies. There were some ideas that I remember early on doctors were saying, hey, you know, if we, if we hit on one of these, why don't we just give the blueprint for that serum to, to everyone and then we can mass produce this and send it all out and everyone can work on the same page. Was that a little too high in the sky for that? Because I mean, look, these are companies they are going to compete even for the benefit of us to get vaccines in our arms. I think it's certainly a meritorious humanitarian thing to talk about. However, there's still production processes that need to be achieved. Um, Bioreactors, the processing happening, uh, the technology transfer. It's not like making additional shirts or or just making more bread. There's a lot more technology involved with that. Uh, Getting approval, certainly by the FDA, um, that takes quite a while to accomplish all of that. And, it, and correct me if I'm wrong, it's not just the actual manufacturing of the uh, the vaccine itself, the serum, uh, or whatever you want to call the raw stuff that gets pumped into your arm. It, it, it's The it's, shiny liquid stuff. <laughs> the liquid stuff, yeah. Uh, it, it's everything else, right? It, it's everything from the uh, the vials to the needles to, right? I mean, there's a, a lot of components to this. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's talk about the vials for a moment. Um, the Pfizer vaccine, you know, storing and shipping at minus 70 degrees, that needed a di different level of a glass manufacturing vaccine than the conventional vaccine that J&J &J is going to be using now. So, so that was even more stress on the supply chain. Additionally to that, there was just a number of uh, vaccine uh, medical glass manufacturers, um, some of those two major ones here in this country. And the capacity then had to be automatically up, up uh, to meet those requirements. Uh, so, so companies did put in some, some new plants uh, in different parts of the world to try to meet that requirement. Uh, syringes, uh, which I've mentioned as well. Um, syringes also uh, were at a constraint initially uh, in the design of the manufacturing model. Uh, and they were able to, some of the same manufacturers, in fact, able to uh, continue to meet those requirements. Now, of course, we have a new requirement. Uh, now that Pfizer's vaccine has moved from five doses per vial to six, and Moderna is hoping to get from 10 doses to 15, that's even a different syringe that's used is to make those draws out of the vial. So there's a new constraint now in the syringe manufacturing space. All that being said, though, how do you feel about the next couple months? Um, our, our president uh, believes that he's going to be able to inoculate everyone that wants it by the end of May. Um, I would love to have that be uh, the case. I'm still uh, believe that we still have a ways to go uh, to, to meet those uh, requirements. Um, I've said when this started, uh, we're looking at uh, the third quarter um, to have us all inoculated. Fortunately, quote, a shot in the arm from J&J &J to have their vaccine approved is going to streamline that. I still think we're looking at August, September uh, until we're able to inoculate uh, the 300 or so million people in our country uh, that absolutely want the virus. Vaccine. Mark Capafari, lecturer on supply chain management at Penn State, used to be at Merck Vaccines. They are not shirts nor bread. Asthma is a problem many people have. That's why dozens of members of Congress are calling on the CDC to include asthma in the COVID comorbidities list. That would allow people with asthma to get the vaccine sooner. One House member calling for this, Nanette Diaz-Barragon, Democrat from the L.A. area. Congresswoman, why did you join in on this? Well, we know that COVID is a lung disease, and the, shine, the science is showing that people with the pre-existing lung conditions are more likely to get severely sick from COVID-19. So it makes sense that we would ask the Centers for Disease Control to add asthma to the list of underlying medical conditions that increase COVID risk and add people with asthma to priority lists for getting the vaccine. We also point out in the letter um, that those that are highly impacted by asthma are communities of color. And so if you are not including this group and we're talking to moderate to severe asthma, then you're really leaving out people who are hardest hit. I, although uh, I, I'm not quite sure, Congresswoman, that the science backs up what you just said, uh, because we've had lots of experts on this program in the past year, as you can imagine. Uh, and one of the things that they all have pointed out, and in fact, it has been surprising to experts, is people with asthma do not end up reflecting in the uh, figures as being more prone to either getting COVID or getting serious outcomes because of COVID, and there are all kinds of various theories being tossed about about why that's the case. But if you look at almost any website, uh, this country, the UK, many others, they'll list as comorbidities, lung disease, and then there's usually an asterisk that says excluding asthma. 
Well, um, if you take a look at the letter, one of the things that we cite is a nationwide study done by Harvard's public health researchers that found that the fine particulate matter, which causes respiratory illnesses like asthma, increases the risk of dying from COVID-19. And so we are asking the CDC to take a look at that research by Harvard um, because we are hearing uh, from doctors that the COVID attacks your respiratory system. And so if you are having being short of breath, um, if you have an asthma attack, you know, for us, we looked at the science, we looked at this report, and there are, by the way, a number of other states that have recognized um, and acknowledged that moderate to severe asthma is a significant risk and have prioritized asthma patients for vaccination access. We're talking about states like Delaware, Massachusetts, New Mexico, and New York. And so we want to make sure that we are applying this uh, standard nationally and looking at uh, the Harbor Medical Study that was put out. We know that disproportionate rates of asthma occur in communities of color. We know that there needs to be more uptake in getting the vaccines to those groups. Could this be a roundabout way of doing that? And if that's the case, is that an okay way to do it? Well, this is not a roundabout way. Again, we're looking at the Harvard study and we're looking at what other other states have done because of the connection to respiratory illnesses. But look, there is no doubt that we have African-Americans and Latinos being hit harder uh, by COVID, dying at higher rates, and they're not having equal access to the vaccine. We know that it's in the data. We hear about it all the time, which is why it's important that we are looking at who is hit hardest, who is uh, being impacted and making sure the vaccines are going into the right arms. And so the hope here is if you open it up to those that have moderate to severe asthma uh, symptoms, like they have in some other states based on this Harvard study, um, that we will be able to get the vaccine to to these communities of color. Well, look, I I mean, no one, uh, I think, is or should argue against uh, people in communities of color getting uh, their fair share of vaccine and maybe then some because you're quite right. The figures do show they have been disproportionately impacted. And the equity isn't there. I mean, we have the charts. You can see it. Neighborhoods predominantly wealthy and white are getting more vaccines. Exactly. So so nobody can dispute that. I I, I think the only question is the the science that you're quoting for doing this is is highly suspect, Congresswoman, because I I, I mean, for example, can you cite a study? And I I know you're citing the Harvard study about fine particulate uh, particulate uh, matter. But can you cite a study that says specifically that having asthma is an increased risk for acquiring and or having a worse outcome from COVID? Well, if you take a look at the letter, we have cited several things, including New York Times article. No, no, that, no, 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 wait, 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 no, 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 those are, hold it, stop. I, not a New York Times article. Can you cite a study? Because you, in your letter, you're citing a Harvard study, but the Harvard study you're citing doesn't specifically say that asthma is a comorbidity uh, for COVID. It doesn't say that by your own admission. So what I'm asking you is, can you cite a study? And if so, great. Can you cite a study that says that people who have asthma are A, more likely to acquire COVID-19 and B, if they do, are more likely to have a serious outcome, i.e. hospitalization and or death? Well, my understanding uh, by talking to people in the medical field and a number of citations throughout the letter that we have from the, you know, different foundations, the lung association is because 
that COVID-19 is a respiratory illness and it attacks your lungs and asthma is a lung, it impacts your lungs is that we have, we, our understanding is that there is a direct tie. And again, there are states that have relied upon this information to prioritize moderate to severe asthma patients as being significant, having a significant risk. And that's why we're asking for the priority. Um, now, I'm happy to, to come back with you uh, to get more uh, specific data and information, but the data that we have looked at um, and the data that other states have looked at uh, came to that conclusion. If, if you do have, if you can find a study uh, that says that asthma is a uh, comorbidity for COVID, yes, please come back and, and tell us about it. We would like to hear that. Sounds good. I will get back to you on that. We, that is something that we specifically did cite in the letter um, about our, the failure to include the moderate to severe asthma as a qualifying comorbidity exacerbates existing racial inequalities. So for us, by not including that, you are having a, huge, a bigger racial inequality um, and access to the vaccine. Congresswoman Nanette Sparagon, Democrat from San Pedro. Texas announced it's ending its state-mandated mask requirement. In doing so, the governor is allowing businesses to open at full capacity. Decision met with scorn, ridicule, as well as praise. Dr. John Carlos, CEO of Prism Health in North Texas, member of the Texas Medical Association's COVID Task Force. Bob Sambol, general manager of Bob's Steak and Chop House in Dallas. Bob, let's start with you. Your thoughts on all this. Well, I mean, the the, the thing to remember is the, the governor lifted the mandate. So... What he basically saying is it's up to each individual business uh, to do what they want to do um, as far as the masks and social distancing and all the things that go along with what we've been doing for the last year. Um, and so I think it's up to every business to, to kind of figure out how they're going to protect their employees uh, themselves and their employees and how they're going to protect their customers and still do business. Because that's what he's trying to do. He's trying to make it easier for you to do business. So in my case, uh, the, the original Bob's in Dallas has been here 27 years. We've weathered through COVID pretty good. People have an emotional attachment to the restaurant. They trust us. Um, and so you can see clearly that in the last few weeks, as more and more people have gotten, gotten vaccinated, our business has improved. And the alarm level of the customer has gone down drastically, drastically. So what are you going to do? And so here's what I think, only being 24 hours away, um, I'm still going to uh, insist that my employees wear masks. Um, I think that will be generally very well received by my employees. I think they'll get the message that I want to uh, protect them. And I'm going to put it right now. We have a sign on the door that says masks are required to enter. Um, I'm going to put down masks are suggested. So, so, so you're going to you're going to leave it up to the discretion of your customers, but your employees will wear masks. Is that the idea? Yes. Yes. Um, to see how that goes. How do you expect um, it to go? <laughs> Well, I already had a phone call from a lady who's, who asked me what we plan on doing uh, because she, had, she plans on coming to dine here at the end of the month 
And if we are not insisting on mass, she's not coming. Well, and uh, I said to her, I, I said to her very nicely, I said, well, I, I haven't made the final decision yet. I, I doubt I'm going to insist my customers wear masks. But when I think about it, though, and another one of my employees, we were talking about this an hour ago, said, you know, all the customers are required to do is wear them to the table. They're not in, in Texas. The rule was you just have to wear it to the table. Yeah, it's they come off anyways. Big, it's not that big a deal. All right. So well, I'm thinking that I might just say you got to wear a mask to the table and at the table you do. I don't know. I'm I'm leaning towards de for sure the employees are going to be wearing them and I'm going to be wearing them. OK, uh, hang in, hang in there, Bob. Uh, we want to bring in to this discussion, Dr. Uh, Dr. John Carlo. So, uh, Doc, uh, we all know what the governor of uh, your state has uh, declared. You have Bob here from Bob Steak and Chop House in Dallas. Uh, he seems to be leaning toward uh, he and his employees will wear masks. You know, he'll suggest that people maybe will wear a mask when they come into the restaurant, but certainly not at the table. And maybe they won't wear it coming into the restaurant. Uh, what do you think about all this? Well, thanks for having me on. And uh, I think I share the same predicament that, that Bob has. Um, you know, we were just talking about this today at our health centers that, you know, we're going to continue to wear masks as healthcare providers. I mean, we believe in the science and we, we review it every day. So we know that that works. But, you know, we right now have um, basically an insistence for our patients to wear masks when they come in to see us. Um, and I have no reason to, to not do that going forward, especially, you know, obviously our patients coming in might be sick with coronavirus. It's an obvious reason to put a mask on. Um, but I worry that this governor's order is going to cause um, our patients to question that. And um, will they either refuse to come see us, uh, or refuse to get care or put up um, uh, perhaps, uh, you know, uh, reservations about, about wearing a mask when they're coming into our health centers. So, uh, Bob, as a, as a uh, owner of these restaurants, uh, what is your level uh, of anxiety, if you have any level of anxiety, about how your customers are going to react to all of this? Uh, well, you know, I, uh, it, it sure made things easier when the governor said we got to wear masks. It made my job a lot easier. Now I'm now I'm a mask policeman, which is very uncomfortable. Uh, you got uh, you know a table of four walking in that that's going to spend five six hundred bucks, and you're going to tell them how to live their life. Um, you you you're gonna it, it's going to be tough. It's going to be a hard week next week, and I'm I'm searching for the magic answer. I'm calling as many of my fellow restaurateurs as I can talk to to see how they're doing it. Talked to one last night and we're all just kind of feeling our way through, but we all agree we have to protect our employees. And, and if we give if we give that message, I think that's a real good start. And then we're gonna kind of figure it out with the customers. I think if I require my customers to wear masks, it will be a terrible situation. Because down here in Texas, you got some people that are just, they were outraged by it when it was, ridiculous not to so that's my situation you said that you'd talk to at least you know one of your employees have you heard from others and, and what is their level of yeah, of concern yeah they they, they they uh i the general consensus is they hope that i'm 
going to insist on wearing everybody wear a mask. And that's what they, uh, you know, we've gotten gotten used to it. I've gotten used to wearing a mask. It yeah. doesn't bother it's been a me. A long anymore. time. <laughs> yeah, it's, it just doesn't bother me anymore. And if it, if it, listen, if it makes people more comfortable to come here and eat, uh, sign me up. <laughs> I mean, I, I just, uh, I, I was a little. I, I'm a big Governor Abbott fan. I, I think he's done a good job. There's no handbook for this, uh, what he's going through, and I think he's overall done a very good job, but. I was surprised he lifted the, the, the mask thing so early. Dr. Carlo, uh, have you come to any conclusion why this whole mask thing has gotten to the point that it has gotten to? And, and I think the facile answer is to say, well, it's because uh, the former president, Donald Trump, was not a big advocate of masks. But I suspect that that's too simple of an explanation. I mean, people in Texas, they wear seatbelts by and large. I'm sure that Given the occasion, they wear condoms. They don't seem to complain about either of those. Why masks? Well, and it is a deeper issue than, than just, just the politics of today. You know, actually, back in 1918, the, the Spanish flu back then, we had civil liberties arguments and, and discussions along the way. There was resistance to wearing masks even back then. So I guess there's some some good to know that it's not just unique to our times. But you know, I do think that it's worse today. Um, I think that, you know, the, the uh, question of seatbelts sure makes sense. But, you know, we don't have to wear motorcycle helmets in this state. Um, you know, you can do all sorts of other things that uh, I don't think promote the public health or the pro public safety at all times. Um, but we live with it. And that's that's what makes up, you know, the state of Texas. You know, this is kind of a different story. You know, you're dealing with an infectious disease that affects everybody. And, you know, it, it, it's something that is not just about what you personally do. It's how you affect the people around you. And so, you know, if you're not in it to protect yourself, I mean, hopefully you have some sense of decency to protect people around you. Um, and if that's the reason why you decide to do it, that's great. But I, I think that it's hard to swallow when you know that it works. And we didn't know at the very beginning, so we have changed the science, I know. But we know it works now when everybody wears a mask. Um, and so it still continues to be important. Vaccines are getting out there, slowly but surely, and we're ramping up every week is better. But do you sit there you know, at a health agency frustrated that, that the message instead of, of open up masks, you don't have to wear them, wasn't instead just hold on another month, month and a half, two months at the most. We can make it. Was that the message yeah. to give instead of this one? Well, you know, this is why I'll tell you why I'm particularly frustrated about this action now at this point. You know, they're, 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 we've done some remarkable success in getting the vaccine out. But, you know, in Texas, the number of people that have received the full course of the vaccine is 3%. That's 3, 3%. And the other thing that to think about is that is not widely available. So in other words, we've been exclusive to healthcare workers, persons over the age of 65 or people with chronic medical conditions. That doesn't protect Bob's you know, uh, employees. Um, they have for the most part probably not had access to the vaccine uh, because they're not in those priority groups. So even if that 3% sounds good, you're saying that it's only been exclusive really to a small group of people and, you know, not to make any, you know, large summarizations about, you know, uh, the people that are going to go into the restaurants and the bars, uh, you know, age, you know, 65 and older, maybe less so, probably not to make any gross, you know, distinctions. But, you know, we didn't vaccinate the 20 and 30 year olds who tend to socialize more. 
So that strategy doesn't really hold water with how we're going to open up the businesses safely. Bob, we're running out of time. So real quick, your final thoughts. My final thoughts is uh, 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 Dr. Carlo makes a lot of sense. Um, I I wish I I would like I'd love to have heard what the governor would have um, uh, answered him what he just said. And 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 I think uh, if anything, I am going to in try again. The employees will be. In, I insist they all wear masks. I'm going to wear masks. My managers, and I'm going to strongly suggest to customers as best I can, because I need to keep my business open. I'm I'm not trying to, but I think what the doctor said is very true. Everybody needs to protect themselves first. If we can just start there. Then maybe we can, you know, get through this. Now the best point is, the weather's changing. More and more people are going to be dining outside. More and more people are going to be doing activities outside. So hopefully that'll also help the effect, or or negate the negative effect of of uh, eliminating masks. Bob Sample, General Manager, Bob Steak and Chop House there in Dallas. Dr. John Carlo, CEO, Prism Health, North Texas, member of that state's COVID-19 task force. Thanks to you both. Coming up after this short break, what if the Walking Dead TV show were real? If it happens, the CDC wants you to be ready. The pandemic is bad enough, but what if we had to deal with zombies too? If you watch The Walking Dead or any zombie movies, you know how stressful that kind of life would be. Yes, stop asking what could happen next, right? Because maybe it's zombies. So to ease the stress, the CDC has his webpage up, Tips for Surviving the Zombie Takeover. With us now, Ken Charles, our boss, our zombie guru. So Ken, you say there's this crazy Nostradamus theory going around that something even worse is going to happen this year? Few young people, half, dead to give a start, Dead through spite, he will cause the others to shine. And in an exalted place, some great evils to occur. Sad concepts will come to harm each one. Temporal dignified, the mass to succeed. Now, I don't know about the two of you guys. <laughs> Did you follow? That says zombie yeah. apocalypse 2021. You know what Nostradamus says? Whatever you want Nostradamus to say. You know, I, I, Night of the Living Dead. Right? Uh, yes. Uh, has one of my, I'm paraphrasing, but it has one of my favorite lines in a movie of all time. Uh, They're looking at the zombies coming, and somebody says to one of the characters, they're moving awfully slowly, and the other person goes, well, they're dead. (laughs) (laughs) I I just love that. (laughs) Well, that really is why I don't think there can ever be an apocalypse from zombies. How hard is it to get out of the way? Because they're too slow. Yeah. So World War Z, though, they move real fast. Right. And that was the dangerous one, because they were jumping walls and stuff that's the we don't want to run into those guys but but the cdc i mean their main point yeah, is so their page here is like what what first began is a tongue-in-cheek campaign to right. encourage new audience you know cdc writing they yeah. say hey this is actually getting people to click on this and it's you know get the water uh having a plan with your family the stuff that you know we should all be doing that all of us say yeah i'll get to it next tuesday that's a great idea and the stuff you would do if there were an actual zombie invasion yeah, so, so it wait, works so, for both things so what you're saying is back in may and april when we didn't have toilet paper and we were all stocking up on things that's the reason we had to is because <laughs> yes. people were preparing for an apo- a, a zombie apocalypse had, yes. had we well had we been prepared for a zombie apocalypse you'd have the toilet paper already <laughs> well and i gotta tell you if there is a zombie apocalypse toilet paper may be the most important thing you have because i'm gonna mess all over myself <laughs> Do zombies wear masks? 
No. I've never seen them. No, that's why they spread it around. Is it a it's easier for them to bite you because they don't have the masks on. That's it, how they spread the virus. How do you eat brains through a mask? Is it a political thing with them? Could be. No, I think zombies are kind of apolitical. Ah, yeah, okay. they've lost all allegiance. <laughs> I mean, just watch C-SPAN. They're on the right, they're on the left. It's just a they're... horde moving down the road. Uh, we mentioned World War Z. Yes. Uh, Max Brooks wrote books Mel about he, yeah, yeah and he has he has got world war z and then he's got the other one which i've read which is how to survive a zombie apocalypse right which is a fun kind of book would and uh, it, it takes you through what the cdc says but here's his here's his quotes uh organize before they rise uh-huh. uh, they feel no fear why should you uh-huh. use your head cut off theirs Oh, wait, hold on. I want to take notes. So, yeah, these are the notes. <laughs> yeah. uh, but how do it, I cut off a zombie? Like, do I have to get up close? Here's the thing. Yes. He, he, here's to... the weapon you need if we're going to really do this. Because, you know, the there boomerang? are some topics that suit me on this program. Yes. Um, what you need, the perfect uh-huh. weapon, because you can swing around a sword, you're going to get tired, or it's going to get dull, and it's going to get stuck in their head, right? Yeah. Guns need reloading. You're going to run out of bullets. What you need is what uh, Laura Croft uses, like the ice pick oh. thing where she's climbing up the walls in the yeah. video games. Oh. That thing right in the head. Pull it out. It's far enough to keep you at a distance. But, no, but no, I don't no, have one. Do you have one, Ken? No, but here's Amazon. actually really the weapon that you need. I, I think you're wrong there. Have you ever seen the James Bond movie Goldfinger? Sure. Yeah. Do you know the hat that the character <laughs> oh, yeah. job Yes, yeah. Where he throws it and it cuts the head off right the statue. Right off the statue. If you can cut a head off a statue, you can cut a zombie's head off. But won't they keep walking even without the head? No, you get the head, they're done. And that's it. Yeah. So that's a sure thing. Mm-hmm. Get the head, zombie gone. That's how to get rid of it's them. It's a vampire that if you only cut the head off, I ah. think it can live, right? See, I always you gotta get, get that in the heart. I've always gotten my vampires and zombies mixed up. What were we saying earlier about you will learn something on this program? The things you learn. Yeah. <laughs> well, see here, a vampire is usually not in management. Ah! Because vampires... Well, that's why it's a corporate I, zombie. I, I beg to differ with you, sir. <laughs> All right. We're, we're done. Let's, we'll come so back I just tomorrow. I really wanted to be a but, guest on your show sometime. But now our audience, they are fully prepared for the CDC's coming of a zombie apocalypse. And what did I say earlier? Get up the stairs, destroy the stairs. Absolutely. They can't make it up to you. I mean, wait, hold on. In, in Night of the Living Dead, they were coming, they were able to climb on the transom over the roof. They were coming through everything. They're not that smart. Even and, in Night of the Living Dead 2, they were getting up the stairs. And they were, don't give them a place to dead. climb. Yeah. <laughs> they were getting up slowly, but they were getting there. Gives you time to make your escape. All right. If you had to get sick with COVID, you might want to choose the South African variant. Why? Because it just might protect you more against the other variants. Research by scientists in South Africa suggests that antibodies triggered by the country's variant can prevent infection by other variants. One scientist says the vaccine updates designed with the South African variant in mind might be cross-protective to other variants, which can give people some idea how this problem of variants can be solved. We're on the Radio.com app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. Back tomorrow, unless the zombies get us. Oh, no. (laughs) 